0: Recently I saw a sign that said, Life is a beach. I suppose the author of that meant that life was fun and relaxing and enjoyable. And I don't doubt that there are times in life when that is true. I just think that we need another sign to balance that one. What would you put on that sign? Well, I would like to suggest life is a battle. Seems to me that it's a battle all the time, or at least a lot of the time. It's a battle when we wake up. We have to fight our bodies. Our bodies want to stay in bed, and we know we have to get up, and the battle rages. And that's only the beginning. We have a battle throughout the day, Uh, We battle our sinful nature when we want to do something that we know we shouldn't do, or we battle our sinful nature when we want to say something that we know we shouldn't say. We battle disease when we are sick, and we battle finances virtually all the time. It seems there's always more month than money, and that happens to most of us most of the time. And then, of course, there are those battles with people. Who of us cannot say that we haven't had battles with people? It starts in the family, it extends to friends. Uh, We're always facing battles, sometimes with people at work, our co-workers, but there are battles all over the place. So let me ask you a question: What do you do when you face a battle? The strong, it has been said, always face the battle and fight until they're conquered, till they conquer while the weak keep trying to escape every battle until they are defeated. What do you do when you face a battle? Well, I'd like for us to talk about that today. Someone has said, the strong always face the battle and fight until they conquer. So how do you do that? What are the weapons of your warfare? Maybe I should ask, What should you do when you face a battle? Well, I think there is an answer to that in one of the Psalms. At least this is part of what you should do. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 20. In this Psalm, David is facing a battle, a real battle. Now, our battles aren't as real as his. They're not military, but We face battles, as I've just mentioned, and the principles in this passage apply. So let's look at Psalm 20. David writes, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of our God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifices, Selah. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the King answer us when we call. This passage uh, naturally falls into about three parts. In the first five verses, there is a desire on the part of people. I'll explain that a little more in a minute. In the second part of the passage, in verses 6, 7, and 8, there is the response of the person being prayed for. And then at the end, in the last verse, in verse 9, the people again pray. Now that's the overview of the passage. What is important to note is this, that apparently this passage of scripture is a prayer for David and the fact that he is about to go into battle. One of the things that leads Bible teachers to that conclusion is verse seven. Verse seven says, some trust in chariots and some in horses. Those were the weapons of warfare in David's day. And so this apparently is against the backdrop of going into battle. So David is facing battle. In the first five verses, the people are praying for him as he does that. Now, what is interesting is the way this is stated. Look at verse one, may the Lord, verse two, may he send you, verse three, May he remember, verse 4. May he grant, verse 5. We'll, we will rejoice in your salvation. In the name of our God, we will set up, may the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now, I just said this was a prayer, but each of these verses begins with, may he, may the Lord, may the Lord. So, is that a prayer or is that a wish? Is it a prayer wish? What's going on here? Why is it stated like that? And the answer is that this is a prayer in the form of a benediction. In a benediction, uh, the people who are praying uh, pray uh, speaking to the person prayed for instead of the Lord, but it's still a prayer. Perhaps the classic example of that in all of the Bible is in Numbers chapter 6, which is one of my favorite benedictions in all of the scripture. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace so they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them now that's due Deut- to I mean numbers chapter 6 but notice it's a prayer but the prayer addresses the people prayed for instead of the Lord and that's called a benediction and that's the kind of thing that's happening in this passage So in the first five verses, the people are praying. They're expressing a desire to the Lord, but they are addressing David, who is about to go into battle. Now, what do they say in this prayer? What are they praying for? And the answer is a whole bunch of things. Matter of fact, each verse contains a different thing that they are praying for. Look at verse 1. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Day of trouble in this passage is no doubt a reference to the fact that he's about to go into battle. But let me just pause for a second. When was the last time you had a day of trouble? Last week? How many would you say in the last seven days you've had one day of trouble? Raise your hand. Ah, look at that. How many did you say in the last 30 days you've had a day of trouble raise your hand all right this passage applies to you All right in your day of trouble. I'm going to tell you what to do in a minute I just want to explain first what's going on in this passage. All right Who of us doesn't have a day of trouble once in a while, you know? All right he says may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble May the name of the Lord, of the God of Jacob, defend you. So, now you understand that there is a characteristic of poetry in the Old Testament, Hebrew poetry, where there's two lines, and very often those two lines can be the opposite or they can be the same thing. So, throughout this passage, there's this uh, two-line kind of thing. So, he says, may the Lord answer you. And may the Lord defend you Uh, probably he is saying you've prayed to be defended so the real prayer here is that you would be defended and so he says may the name of the God of Jacob defend you so he's praying that the Lord would defend David and that no doubt is David's prayer Lord we're going into battle defend us protect us not a bad idea look at verse 2 may he send you help from the sanctuary and strength out of Zion now again notice the parallel he's the prayer is that he would send you help but the help is defined as strength that's very important he prayed in verse 1 that the Lord would answer But what he prayed for was defense in verse 2 he prayed that he would help him and the idea is that he would pray for strength notice what he says though from the sanctuary out of Zion Zion is another word in the Bible for Jerusalem and as you know uh, the tabernacle later the temple was in Jerusalem and God dwelt in the sanctuary as it's called here so they are praying Lord out of the sanctuary in Jerusalem strengthen David now the idea is this is coming from the God of Jacob it's coming from the Lord but he resides in the sanctuary in Zion now that's important because of something that's going to come up in a few minutes but at this point point, <coughs> I just want you to see that he's praying for defense, and he's praying for strength. Verse 3, may he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice, Selah. Now, <clears throat> he's asking the Lord to remember David's offerings and burnt sacrifice. Now, we normally think of offerings and burnt sacrifices in the Old Testament as being given as a response to sin. And that is true. That happens. However, there were other times that people in the Old Testament gave offerings and burnt sacrifices. Namely, when they were going into battle or just when they were praising the Lord. As a matter of fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, Samuel does this very thing. And in 1 Samuel chapter 13, Saul does this very thing. He's about to go into battle. It's really interesting in that passage, the Lord doesn't accept the sacrifices because of Saul's spiritual condition. At any rate, uh, the people are praying for David, and they are saying, may the Lord remember your, that's David's, offerings and sacrifices. That you've given these to honor the Lord before you go off into battle, and may the Lord remember that. There's an interesting little footnote. Offerings were meal offerings. Not all offerings in the Old Testament were animal sacrifices. The burnt sacrifices were animal sacrifices. So there were two different types of sacrifices, and David had offered both. And they are saying, Lord, remember David is trusting you. I want you to remember he's honoring you. He's acknowledging you before he goes into battle. Verse 4, another request. May he, capital H, the Lord, grant you according to your heart's desire to fulfill all your purpose. Again, notice the parallelism. What is his desire? To fulfill a purpose. And, of course, the purpose would be To be victorious in battle. So the people are saying, may the Lord grant, they're actually praying though, Lord grant his desire to be victorious in this battle. And then verse 5, we will rejoice in your salvation and in the name of our God we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions now let me take the last phrase in verse 5 first he says may the Lord fulfill all your petitions there's no parallel this time it stands alone and the difference is may he fulfill all your petitions now prior to this in this passage he's talked about uh, David's desire in verse 4 uh, So that uh, he even says, may he answer you in verse 1. So if you look at the passage carefully, there are other prayer requests, so to speak. But now they get to the end and say, Lord, answer them all. That's our prayer. Just answer all of his requests. Now, that's the last phrase in verse 5. I want to comment on the first part of verse 5. It says, we will rejoice in your salvation. Now, when we hear the word salvation, we automatically think of being forgiven and given the gift of eternal life and going to heaven. The word salvation is used that way in the New Testament. However, you've heard me say many times, the word salvation means nothing more than deliverance. And in the Psalms, especially, it's not talking about Spiritual salvation from sin and hell it's talking about being delivered from some Catastrophe and when you read the Psalms, you need to keep that in mind and that's the case here We will rejoice in your salvation in the name of our God. We will raise up our banner now. There's the parallelism We're going to rejoice in your deliverance of David We're praying that you will deliver David And we are going to rejoice when that happens. As a matter of fact, it says we're going to lift up our banner. There are several possible meanings to that. As the 12 tribes went into battle, each tribe had their own banner. But more than likely, this is saying something like we're going to set up a celebration banner and I take it that that's parallel to we rejoice in your salvation we're going to celebrate we're going to rejoice because we're so confident that you are going to answer this prayer then they say in the name of our god we're going to rejoice in the name of our does that sound strange you're going to rejoice in the name Well, the word name in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, refers to someone's character, to someone's nature, to their reputation. And so what they're saying is uh, not we're just going to take your name and rejoice over it. We're going to rejoice in who you are. We're going to rejoice in what you're going to do for David. We are going to celebrate. We're going to rejoice. All right got it? People are praying in the form of a benediction, and they're saying, Lord, defend David, strengthen David. Remember, he's acknowledging you. Fulfill his purpose to be victorious, and we're going to rejoice when you answer all of his petitions. Now, I said the principles of this passage apply to us, How are we to apply this to our day of trouble? And let me make the simple suggestion of what's going on here. What's happening in this passage? People are praying for David. The populace, the population, the people of Jerusalem are praying for David. So is not the principle that when you face a day of trouble, You get somebody else to pray for you. Now, that's not a substitute for you praying. There are several references in these five verses of David's petition, David's prayer, David's desire. So it's not that they pray instead of you, it's they pray with you. Is that a good idea? Well, let me, I want to share, I want you to put your finger in Psalm 20. We're going to come back. We're not finished with it. And I want you to turn to Second Thessalonians chapter 3, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I uh, was struck by this verse <clears throat> many, many years ago <coughs> when I was um, traveling about the country as a uh, speaker and I was in a church where there was some trouble and the pastor told me all about it and said what do you do and I said I don't know I just graduated from seminary and said we didn't cover that in seminary so I went back to the motel where I was staying and the next morning I got up and I was reading through the New Testament And I came to this verse, and because of the situation in which I found it, it has always stuck with me. You're there? 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have uh, run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. Now, that's a request that I can see, you know, Uh, Pray for me as I preach that the Word finds good lodging, good soil to grow in. That's a good prayer. But look at verse 2. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Ooh, I would love to know. What was going on? Uh, we have no way of knowing. Uh, there's no, other than this verse, we don't have any idea. Now, we, there's some speculation, but uh, we don't know what's going on exactly. What I find interesting is that he calls some men unreasonable. Do you know anybody that's unreasonable? And wicked anybody that's wicked? And they're the people that give you trouble, right? Wicked and unreasonable people. So what do you do? And here's the answer. You ask other people to pray for you. Now that is a biblical solution to when you are facing a battle. Now, uh, i don't think i've ever done this before in my entire life but since he asked for it i don't think he would mind me reminding you just as the service was beginning ron came to me and explained a, a situation to me and he said please get the people to pray i'm facing a legal battle and get the people to pray and i, st- I the service was starting so i didn't say anything to him other than we'll pray and i thought to myself huh An illustration of what I'm going to speak on today just fell in my lap. So Ron, there's the passage. You got it. All right? Then we need to pray for Ron. That's a biblical thing to do. But now notice there's two prayers here, uh, two requests, one prayer, two requests. And the first is that the Word of the Lord may run swiftly, that it may have success. And the second is, and oh, by the way, we got this aggravating problem over here. Some unreasonable people are giving us a hard time. Pray that we'll get delivered. Now, I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 4. Back a few pages and look at Colossians chapter 4. And look at verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word To speak the mystery of Christ for which I also am in chains that I May make it manifest as I ought to speak Very very interesting. You know what Paul's praying for here? he's praying Uh, He's asking for prayer that he might have an opportunity to present the gospel, called here the Word, and that he might have the boldness to take the opportunity when he gets it. Paul prayed that. Can you imagine? If Paul needed prayer for that, what about me? Now, here's my point. Paul is requesting other people to pray for him. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it's because he's got a battle with people. But at the same time, he's praying that the word of the Lord would have free course. He does that same thing in Colossians chapter 4. And this time, he's praying just that he would have an opportunity to present the gospel, and. That he would have the boldness. And the Greek word translated boldness simply means the freedom to speak. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you know somebody that you should talk to about the Lord and you've been hesitant? that ever happened to you? You know, does it happen to you? It happens to all of us, right? I mean, you det- I'm going to witness to this person and you get right up to the point point. And you have brain freeze or tongue freeze or something and you just you don't well here's one of the solutions to that we should pray for one another maybe we should be praying for one another that we would have opportunities and that we would have the freedom to take them when we get them so here's what I'm telling you in the day of trouble or the day of tension when you're talking about witnessing to somebody One of the things you can do is get other people to pray for you. And I think that's something we need to do. Now, we do a lot of that around here, but I just uh, think that maybe we should do it some more. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4 for a second. We'll get back to Psalm 20 in a minute. But look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And this time I want you to look at verse 15. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. But speak the truth in love, may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ. Now, in this passage, Paul is talking about uh, the church and us growing uh, to Christ-like maturity. That's the point of verse 15. That we may grow up in all things into him. Christ, that we grow up spiritually to be Christ-like. Now look at verse 16. From whom the whole body, that is the body of Christ, joined and knitted together by what every joint supplies, according to the effectual working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edification of itself in love. Now, let me explain something. Every believer in Jesus Christ is in the ministry. Now, the way we've sliced and diced this today is pastors and missionaries are in the ministry, and everybody else is a layman. I guess that means you lay down and let them do the work. That's not biblical. As a matter of fact, the job of those in the ministry is to equip you to do your ministry. Drop back in the passage to verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Ah, I'm the pastor, verse 11, and teacher. In the Greek text, those two things are united together. And my job is to equip the saints for their work of the ministry. You're in the ministry, not just me. Now, what does that mean? And that's that verse 15 I read a minute ago. By what every joint supplies. Now, the imagery is of a body. And every joint has to work right. By the way, that means you're a joint. You ever thought of yourself as a joint? Well, let me ask it this way. You ever had a joint that didn't work? Then you can appreciate what's going on here. If you got a joint that didn't work, And the body is suffering. Right? So every joint needs to work. And if you don't do your part, the body doesn't function. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say that. Look at verse 16. By which every part does its share. So you're to do your share. And that causes growth of the body. To the point where we really grow in love I talk about this a lot don't I we ought to be loving one another right Amen. isn't that the ultimate end of the Christian life Christ-like maturity so we learn to love one another but the point I'm making today is and you are a joint in this whole process and if your joint isn't working the body suffers you need to be working now how do you do that there's a whole bunch of ways to do that I've uh, over the years spoken on various things you can do Uh, but today the one thing you can do is Pray. pray right can you do that can you now there are other things you can do the Bible says we're to exhort one another daily that's a big big issue in the scripture. We ought to be ministering to one another. Now what we've done today is reduced the church to a business and we meet on Sunday and the pastor is the CEO and then we scatter to go do whatever and a lot of churches have tried to get back to some biblical uh, form by at least having small groups which is not a bad idea. let me tell you the way we do it here. We eat together. Now, is that biblical or what? Can you get any more biblical than that? In the New Testament, they ate together once a week. Now, the purpose of that is not to feed you physically. Now, we do that, but that's not the purpose. The reason we eat together You can go get lunch anywhere. What can't you get anywhere? Fellowship. So that what you should be developing is some relationships. And those relationships should enable you to minister to one another. So maybe that's the context in which you say, Hey, I got a day of trouble coming up next Wednesday. Pray for me. We do that publicly, but um, You need somebody to pray for you and you need to pray for them Amen That's what this is about By the way, the lunch thing works great Uh, I Love it when I walk in and see everybody talking to each other. It's fabulous Uh, The problem is sometimes you're getting a little click and you never get out of it now the click isn't all bad, uh, that little group you always eat with. But maybe when there are visitors, you should invite somebody to join your group, huh? Maybe every once in a while you should do something real radical and go eat with somebody else. Is that scary or what? You want me to do what? Yeah, go meet somebody else. You might learn something. You might, you might be able to minister to somebody else. All right, my point is really very simple when you're facing a day of trouble One of the things you should do is Get some people to pray for you Amen. What I think is particularly interesting is this the kinds of things that are prayed for in psalm 20 Or, Lord Give this person strength Lord defend this person Lord Remember who they are. They're acknowledging you. And Lord, answer their prayers. Those are the kinds of things that maybe we should be praying for when we pray for other people. So, uh, when you're in a day of trouble, what you should do is pray. Pray. Somebody has said, to deny the battle is unwise. To believe that I can fight it without God is insane. So when you're in a day of trouble, pray and get other people to pray for you. All right, let's go back to Psalm 20. We're not done. Go back. You got your finger in Psalm 20? All right, flip back over to Psalm 20. The first five verses are a desire of the people. And the key word is May, May, may. They are praying for your, you, your. That is David. Now look at verse six. Now I, Wow. By the way, if you're going to study the Bible carefully, there are times when you really need to notice the pronouns. In the first five verses, it's you, you, you. And now in verse 6, all of a sudden it says, Now I know the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven. The fact that it says I instead of you means that we've changed speakers. Now it's David speaking. He is responding to their prayer. And here's what he says. I know the Lord saves his anointed. And again, the idea of saves in verse 6 is he's going to deliver his anointed. Anointed meaning David was anointed king. He will answer him from. Now, where does the Lord answer from? I told you earlier where did you forget already where's the Lord residing what does the earlier part of the passage say you forgot already in the sanctuary in Zion remember that that's what he said earlier in the passage verse 2 May he send your help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. So the people, legitimately, were praying that the Lord would answer from where he's living, and that is in the sanctuary in Jerusalem. But look at verse 6. David says, he will answer me from his holy heaven. All of a sudden, David says, he's not just in that sanctuary in Jerusalem. He's in heaven. Now the implication of that seems to be that David is saying, I'm not just uh, praying to some localized deity like the pagans who have a deity that's restricted to one location. I am confident that the Lord of heaven, the Lord who resides in heaven, is going to answer me from heaven. And he's going to give me deliverance. So he's saying the Lord is not restricted, the Lord is not limited, he is the Lord of heaven. And he says in the latter part of verse 6 with saving strength of his right hand. So the Lord is going to deliver me, and he's going to do it with the strength of his right hand. Obviously, symbolically saying the Lord has the power to do what. I need done. Now, if the first five verses are a prayer, what is verse 6? If the first five verses are saying, Lord, defend, deliver, rescue, give victory, what's verse 6? Saying, you know what? I'm confident the Lord's going to do it. That's what's going on. Now, this is the second thing I'd like to suggest when you face your day of trouble. You pray, get other people to pray for you, and then what? Trust the Lord. And that's what this is about. I am confident the Lord is able to save and he's going to do it. I know that the Lord saves his anointed. I know the Lord Uh, Answers prayer now uh, verse 6 is just an expression of a confidence. I know verse 7 I think really gets at what's going on It says some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God So what he's saying In verse 6 is he's expressing confidence, but another way to say the same thing is I'm trusting the Lord And that's what I think is the point of verses 6 7 and 8 that we ought to trust the Lord Uh, he says um, some trust in chariots some trust in horses and as I mentioned a minute ago those are the weapons of warfare in the ancient world and David's about to go into battle so what do you trust the army no Do you use the army? Yes. Do you trust the army? No. That's simple enough. So when you have a medical problem, what do you do? You go to the doctor. Do you trust the doctor? No. You trust the Lord. So you have a legal problem, what do you do? Do you get a lawyer? Yes. Do you trust the lawyer? No. You trust the Lord. That's what's going on in this passage. That is really important. I think we have a tendency to rely upon the means rather than the power behind the means. The Lord uses doctors. The Lord uses lawyers. The Lord uses mechanics. I don't doubt that for a second. But I don't trust them either. The trust is in the Lord. Did you ever take your cardo mechanic and pray pray for him? Yeah. <laughs> I have. Lord, I don't know what's wrong with this bucket of bolts, but would you give him wisdom to figure it out without me having the least amount of hassle? Is that a selfish prayer or what? But it's the way the Lord works. Lord works in the mechanic, so pray for the mechanic. I'm not trusting the mechanic I'm trusting the Lord so that's what he says now he says some trust in chariots that's the means that's not the source behind the power but we will remember and there it is again the name of the Lord our God that name represents who he is his character his nature sometimes used of his reputation we're gonna remember who the Lord is, the King of kings, the Almighty. And we're going to trust Him. So, He is expressing trust. Somebody has said, one Almighty is more than all the Mighties. So we're trusting the Almighty. In this same vein, Verse 8 says, they bow down and, and are fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Now, you've got to watch the pronouns in this passage. Where did they come from? I've seen you. I've seen I. Where did they come from? Who are the they? Well, obviously, it's the people in verse 7 who are trusting in chariots and horses. So he says, they... Trust in horses and chariots. And David's saying, you know, I've seen this before. I've seen people trust the army. I've seen them trust chariots and horses. And they fell. They were defeated. But we, and in this case, the we is those who remember the name of the Lord our God. Verse 7, we have risen and stand upright. They and the there's imagery here. They have fallen in defeat, and we stand in victory because we trusted the Lord. That's what's going on here. By the way, look at verse 8 carefully. We have risen and stand upright. Now I'm going to get a little technical for a minute. Do you mind if I get a little grammatical? When you were in school, did you like grammar? I haven't met many people that like grammar. I didn't know, I, I, I didn't know grammar until I started studying the Bible and then I was forced to look at grammar. All I want you to see is that verse 8's in the past tense. See that? He doesn't say we will rise and stand upright. He says we have. Do you see that? Well, now, wait a minute. Has he gone into battle yet? Apparently not. Uh, The whole point of the first five verses is we want the Lord to grant you this. And if they are in battle, have they won the battle yet? No. That's the whole point of the passage. So how can he say in verse 8, we have been victorious? That is an expression of his confidence. As a matter of fact, the Bible does this. It sometimes speaks in the past tense to refer to a future event. This is not an isolated case. The Old Testament especially does this, where I am so certain this is coming to pass, I'm going to speak of it as if it already happened. Now, this is an expression of David's trust and his confidence in the Lord. That's all this is. So the people have prayed, verses 1 to 5, and David has responded saying, I'm going to trust the Lord, and He is going to give us the victory. That's verses 7 and 8, 7 through 8. One more verse. Verse 9 says, save, Lord, may the King answer us when we call. Notice that the word King in verse 9 is capitalized. He's not talking about David. He's talking about the Lord. And they are simply saying, we're going back to May, which is what we had in the first five verses. The people are at it again. They are praying in the form of a benediction, and they are saying, may the King answer us. May the King answer this prayer when we call upon him. So again, They are simply praying, confident that the Lord is going to give the victory. As a matter of fact, turn to 2 Corinthians. You need to know this verse. You need to look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and look at verse 14. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Isn't that great? The Lord always leads us in triumph. In your day of trouble, pray and trust the Lord because he is the one who always leads us in triumph, gives us the victory. All right. Started out saying, you're having a day of trouble. A number of you raised your hand in the last seven days. A couple of more added when I threw in 30 days. For those of you who didn't raise your hand, let me just, I hate to be the one to tell you this. Your day is coming. Am I right? So if you hadn't had one lately, you're due. It's coming. Job said that. Man's days are full of trouble as the sparks fly upward. It's just life. So what do you do? Two things. Maybe three. Pray. Acknowledge the Lord. This passage is filled with that. You acknowledge the Lord. And get other people to pray for you. You need a prayer partner. You need somebody that when your day of trouble has come, you can call that one or two individuals and say, hey, here's the situation. Pray for me. And then trust the Lord. So when you're facing a battle, have other people pray for you and trust the Lord rather than human means to give you the victory. Is that good stuff? Psalm 20. All right, I want to close by um, making a couple of suggestions. I want to apply this uh, nationally. Uh, Every Sunday we pray for the government because the scripture tells us we're to pray for the leaders, right? Does our country need prayer? Is there power in group prayer? I sometimes think that as in times past, the president needs to call for a day of prayer. And we just need to pray for this country. We are more divided than we've ever been in my lifetime, except perhaps for the Civil War. And it's bad. We need to pray. Pray. But what I want to say is that there's group prayer in this passage. In Acts 4, there's group prayer that they would have the boldness to preach the gospel. And I'm suggesting that maybe we need as a nation just to pray. On May 27, 1940, the German high command announced, The British army is encircled and our troops are proceeding to its annihilation. The Prime Minister of England, Winston Churchill, said, The whole root and core and brain of the British Army seems about to perish on the field and be led into captivity. The previous Sunday, which is May 26th, at the request of His Majesty King George VI, had been set aside as a day to observe a national day of prayer. In a stirring broadcast. The king called the people of Britain and the Empire to commit their cause to the Lord and the whole nation, the whole nation was at prayer. Now some of you know a little history might remember what happened. The British Army is surrounded. On the 26th they call for a national day of prayer. On the 27th, it's announced that it looks like they'll be annihilated. On the 28th, three things happened. Hitler stopped the general advance. A storm of extraordinary fury grounded the Air Force on May 28th. A great calm came over the English Channel for several days, which allowed 338,000 men of the army to be evacuated From Dunkirk. So Hitler unexplainably stopped the advance, a storm grounded the Air Force, and yet the sea was calm so the army could escape. And I say to you, that's what happened when a nation prays. But I say the same principle applies to your day of trouble, that we should apply this personally. That we should ask the Lord to intervene. When we face battles, we need to trust the Lord. We tend to trust our own ingenuity. And if we pray at all, we pray alone. How many times have I done that? Countless. I have a problem, so I just, I pray, you know. And I'm very reluctant to get somebody else to pray. And I am at fault. So we tend to trust our own ingenuity or pray alone. We should enlist prayers of other people as well as pray. Matthew Henry said, the prayer of others for us must be desired not to supersede but to second our own request. And one other author said, and I quote, in all trouble, personal, Domestic or national? Prayer is the best resort of high and low. On earth no man is so afflicted or forsaken or beset by the wicked that God cannot save him. And no man is so great nor in any need that he cannot receive help from on high. So from the lowest, To the highest, from the personal to the national, we need to pray for one another. Father, as the apostles requested, teach us to pray together as a group to trust you in our day of trouble. So Lord, thank you for this reminder. And may the Spirit of God embedded and printed upon our hearts that we learn to pray for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.